Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. <laughs> Welcome to Food for Thought, a podcast gab fest for in a multiracial mix of queer writers gather around the table to talk about sex, a high identity, <laughs> oh. culture, what we like to read, and who we like to read. Food for Thought. It's like a suppository for the butthole of the mind. <laughs> oh my god! And we all know. We all. We all know. We live. Toddy is addicted to suppositories. I'm a little. Just a little addicted fans, to suppositories. You should. You should slide into the DMs offering to send a Tommy suppositories. Well, what happened was I had my first hemorrhoid of my life, and all of my friends have had them before, and they were just like, mm. "Get these little things," and I was like. <laughs> it was you know popping in I don't know it was I, like, a, like a breath mint but for my butt I name my hemorrhoids and then I imagine that giving giving myself suppositories is just feeding my hemorrhoids and they munch on them until oh, they're dead. Oh my god! <laughs> like little, dead. I just now I just now I'm just thinking of little Pac-Man like munching exactly. Your little butt. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I can't. I can't. I was like, oh, we lost to John today. <laughs> oh. So, like, how God. frequent are Ew. you? You know, actually, I don't want to talk about this anymore. I am Tommy Teeves Pico. I'm an indigenous American poet, screenwriter, single, and actively mingling. And I'm just wondering what predatory animal came to Los Angeles and ripped the knees out of literally everyone's jeans. It's so true. Why does no one have knees in their jeans? Nobody has knees in their jeans. It's fucked up. Yeah. It's, like, it's like we're stuck in 2007. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm Fran, I'm a writer, I'm an editor, I'm a lime LaCroix, but a Pomplamoose LaCroix rising. Wow, <laughs> that is... Pomplamoose? Pomplamoose. I don't know if you understand it, because it's French. It's French. French. I, Je vais I faire le, le reste de spectacle en français. Je veux rebobre. Je ne parle pas français. I am Dennis Norris II, and I'm a reader and a writer, a lapsed violist, and I am writing high on Sudafed and Rosé. That's a good combo. It's a good combo. Like the whitest spring break ever. <laughs> I mean, truly my brand. Truly my brand. And I am Joseph Osmondson, scientist, nonfiction writer, and you guys, as Dennis would say, you guys, I graduated summa cum laude from Skid Mark College. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, really you are fired. I'm really not <laughs> helping. Not helping at all. Oh my god. Um, I truly, yeah. I don't have anything to say. Ben <laughs> has been stunned into silence. Is that going to impede you from telling us what we have on the menu this evening? Uh, that's right. Uh, today we are talking all about poetry or hoetry, as I like to call it. If you will, <laughs> we decide whether or not Virginia Woolf is a top. <laughs> I mean, Spoiler I alert. Hey, hey, hey. Uh, for for our second segment, we literally don't know what it is yet because we're recording in advance, you bitches. <laughs> uh, and for dessert, let's just say it's giving Tommy an erection right now. <laughs> Hi, how's it going? Tommy here. Uh, I think it's time we start the top of the show the way any good top should, but a little tease. Our uproarious appetizer segment Amuse Boosh, and to amuse our booshes, Fran's got a little game. That's right. Uh, today we are playing a very literary edition of Top Secret, wherein we take some dynamic duos and decide who is the top. And of course, a little PSA for all of our listeners. Uh, we at Food for Thought LLC do not believe that, you know, Positions need to be binary. You don't have to be a top. You right, don't have to right, be a bottom. Right, you don't have to be anything. You know right, what I mean? Yeah, but yeah, sometimes yeah. talking about bottoms is just like a funny punchline. <laughs> and that's why we're playing this game. So let me tell you, this is the literary edition because we're talking about poetry. Oh, no. Literary duos, y'all. Okay. Ready to play? Mm-hmm. Who is the top? Virginia Woolf or Vita Sackville West? I I picture Virginia Woolf as being a very vengeful top. (laughs) (laughs) Whenever I think about them, I just can't think. I can't stop thinking about the fact that, like, if they got married 
and one of them took each other's names, it would be Virginia West or West, comma, Virginia. Oh. <laughs> Isn't that fucked up? I just I, think Virginia Wolf wants to get plowed in a room did. of her own. I, 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 I pegged her as a peg. You know Alex, I mean? Alex spat out her beer in the oh back. Oh, my God. <laughs> Done. Dennis? Um, I think that Virginia Wolf is largely a bottom, except for when she takes you to the lighthouse. And there she's going to absolutely plow your brains out mm. by the water. Wow, I love that literary reference. <laughs> lighthouse, it's my favorite Virginia lighthouse Wolf dildo, book. perhaps? Lighthouse dildo? Lighthouse-sized dildo? I don't think that's <laughs> possible. <laughs> Who is the top? Truman Capote? Sorry. <laughs> Truman Capote and Harper Lee. Oh, because they were friends in real life. Wow. Yes, Truman Capote is the Ball, most bottom. The most yeah. Absolutely. 100%. Absolutely Harper Lee. So Harper Lee's a absolutely. quiet top. Oh, absolutely. Oh, Secret Mommy Top. Yes. Secret yes. 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 Oh, yes. just like um, Jada Pinkett Smith. Yeah, yes. yes. Truman yes. Capote is like so loose that like when he walks, he goes. <laughs> he like literally can motorboat through the water, <laughs> sucking sucking water in and propelling, using oh it to propel God. him. Disgusting. There's a, in all seriousness, there's a really incredible Hilton Alls essay on Truman Capote in White Curls uh, that describes his sort of bottomness. Actually, mm-hmm. we will be editing um, that out. anyway. <laughs> Oh, wow. Who is the top, J.R.R. Tolkien or C.S. Lewis? Oh my God! Was C.S. Oh. Lewis Christian? Very Christian. And they were best yes, friends, yes, IRL. Yes, yes, oh, okay. Yes. They would like go on gay like writing dates together. Gay they because like, they were gay, or gay because writing is gay. Writing is, <laughs> writing gay. is so gay. Writing is so gay. They were maybe closeted faggots, but. No, I think just... like I think of there is so much this is about hard. They're they're, yeah. probably well, bottom. Uh, yeah, yes. I mean, yeah. I, I, but like the uh, JRL token, the one ring, I'm thinking butthole. The I feel like the whole point is that they're searching they're searching for the right cock to put the ring on. Mm. Uh, and was C. S. Lewis the line, the witch in the wardrobe? Absolutely. Yes, yes closet yes, case of one hundred. Okay, closet case a hundred percent. Closet case. I mean the way he would Describe Aslan, King A- King Aslan. Who is the top? The Bronte sisters. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, again, Emily. just a general evergreen note. It's not incest if you're gay. <laughs> <laughs> so we all know. Here at Food for Thought, LLC, we believe. <laughs> we'll um, put that in the merch later. We'll have like a bumper sticker that says it's not incest if you're gay. <laughs> I do think Emily was the top. For sure. I agree. Really? 100 Well, actually, you know what? A lot of her shit was about, like, it was, like, sadomasochistic, yeah. like, relationships. Yeah. So maybe mm-hmm. not. Maybe yeah. it's just kind of like a, maybe they're, like, a, a she's a switch. Maybe they're both, um, you know, kinky switches. So, like, the story is, like, Emily was, like, a total, totally, like, a social, like, hated being around people, just, like, wandered around and then died early. Damn. Oh. Why? Stop just looking at me when you say Just, she wanted to be pounded into ground beef by, like, some cow hand, you know? Total bottom. Mm, okay, okay, okay. Cow Who hand. is the top? Allen Ginsberg or Jack Kerouac? Allen Ginsberg oh. is 100% the biggest bottom in American <laughs> history. Oh, yeah. Howl Jack. at that ass. Yes. He's got yes. a fat ass. Howl at that ass. Absolutely. Oh my God. But he has kind of that Jack. daddy, that big beard, the white hair. But He's was, the daddy that, who wants you to plow him, though. But that was the thing. I think he was the kind of like one of the, the, the preeminent like hard femme. You know what I mean? True, true, true. Like, I mean, I'm, I'm co-opting that term because that comes from lesbian culture, but like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. he had like the beard, but he was like the faggot bear, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was faggot like, bear. And yeah, maybe yeah. I'm Rasputin, maybe I'm not. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. you know what I mean? And also like Jack Kerouac, I would, I believe 100, I think Jack Kerouac was one of those like straight dudes who was like, Gay on the holidays. You know, oh, so your ideal man, Tommy. Mm, why don't we stop talking about? <laughs> because me? then you don't have to have sex like a few times a year. Oh, moving on. The next couple is Gertrude Stein and Alice Toklas. 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 Oh. Alice B. Toklas. Yes, Alice B. Token for sure. Yeah. <laughs> she gets high. Let me tell you, the ladies get high. Gertrude uh, has always read it as a top. Top. One hundred percent. Yes, absolutely. Don't you think so? Don't you? Joe knows. Yeah, 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 yeah. More. You, you, you read her work more. Than yeah, that. I mean, yeah. Totally. I mean, she just Did has she that. Flick that tender topic. button. Would you say? Oh, I I wish you would flick my tender (laughs) butt. 
Uh, My old hard callus uh, oh. button. <laughs> James Baldwin and Lucas Habersberger. Habersberger oh, is like Swedish lover. Yeah. Right. James is a bottom, right? I always thought so. Yeah. I, thought so I think James was a, was a bottom. And also, you know, he, he like many of us, was addicted to the, the white pee. <laughs> oh, <laughs> He had a lot of. He needed to decolonize his design. I mean, I'm making fun of him, even though he's created the blueprint for what literal how we literally talk about race like today. Yeah, 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 yeah. he's amazing and wonderful, but. You know, I could poke some fun, James. Absolutely. You know, Jimmy, absolutely the bottom. Jimmy. Jimmy oh. Yeah, yeah it absolutely. was like face down, ass up in Giovanni's room. For sure. <laughs> <laughs> Every time. Oh. Sylvia Plath uh, or Anne Sexton. Sylvia Plath was 100% a bottom. She yes. wanted to be taken care of. She wanted to be held. She wanted to have an arm around her and a dig in her butt. And Anne Sexton is <laughs> doing nothing but fucking people. Oh. Oh. Anne, motherfucking well, Sexton. Agree. You know what I mean? It's like the truth the dead know is that she fucked them to death. Yeah, yeah. 100%. <laughs> oh, my God. oh, I wish Joe, you were still alive to fuck me to death. <laughs> yes, go Joe, on. What do, what do you think, Joe? You're, you are a contemporary Sylvia Plath, but like less talented. You're way, <laughs> way less talented. And I'm like way too lazy to even kill myself. I'm so no! sorry. <laughs> no! We love you, Joel. No! Love oh yourself. I like oh, I can't, uh, opening I'm the done. oven sounds like so much work. No, you, you, you're <laughs> that Dorothy Parker poem about like like nooses give might as well live. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Oh my god. Oh my god. Oh my it god. Is it's a perfect position though. I'm just gonna say. wait. Head in the oven. I- <laughs> <laughs> That's so fucking funny. Oh my god. What's your favorite position? Your hands. <laughs> like you get real quiet and you're like, get this. Hands I love to be ass up, head in the, in oven. the oven, gas on. That's wow. right. It's like That's it's like an industrial size popper. It's like an oven. <laughs> it's like. <laughs> It's like the oh gas. My God. That should be your favorite way. Gas on, <laughs> ring off. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine how open your anus will be when you die. Oh my God. Well, yes, it, duh, you do what? You do. Release. Yes, you release. You release. Yes. Are you talking about the fact that when you die, your bowels lose their like? Yes, muscles? yes, that's okay. what we're Anyways. talking about. Just wanted to clarify that. Oh um, <laughs> from the doctor. Wow, we are trash. Oscar Wilde and Alfred Douglas. Oscar Wilde was 100% the biggest bottom, right? He was the one that got, like, you know, per, like, je- uh, he went to court because minute. he was gay. Yes, but yeah. he also, he, like, fucked a ton of rent boys and I shit like that. But I always oh, did he really? He was, he was kind of, da- okay, okay, he was kind of daddy. I kind of thought he was, like, kind of like a femtop daddy. No, 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 the Timothy Chalamet of yore. He's like a teeny uh, tiny oh, little Well, there you friend. go. I mean, there I just feel go. like Oscar Wilde uh, gets a little too off on his own puns, and that just reads epically bottom to me. Oh, that is. Looking a, directly, directly at, at Tommy. Tommy. <laughs> Wasn't he on his deathbed and he said, either these drapes go, go or I do? I thought it was the wallpaper, oh, but yes. Okay, uh, his last words, yes. still in his powers. <laughs> mm. On that note, uh, thank you all for playing that wonderful game of Top Secret. For our next segment, we have a... uh, (laughs) I mean, do not try this at home, kids. (laughs) story from a one Tommy Teeps Pico. So truly, like, like legally, I'm obligated to tell you to please not try this at home. Tommy, take it away. (laughs) Your your impure thought stories are like jackass set to gayness in 2019. (laughs) 2020. It's 2020 now. How I broke my toe at the top of 2020. My first sex injury of the year. (laughs) Now, uh, this is an OTL part two story, I have to say, because it was with, you know, OTL part one is a story that I told earlier in the season. OTL part two, I was back in his hometown of... It was Baltimore, Baltimore. yeah. Yes, it was Baltimore. We were all in Baltimore. OTL stands for... One True Love. And there was this thing that happened where, like, it had been a while since we hooked up. Because the first time we hooked up was, like, I think 2017 or something. It happened like that for a while. And, and, and... 
there was more than a year of us just like either, you know, he was in a relationship, I was in a relationship. We didn't, he wasn't the best communicator, I'll tell you that much. But uh, to, to the point where I was like, did I make this thing up? Right. Mm. Was it, did mm. this thing happen in my head? Yeah, did yeah. the moment pass? Was, was it your one fake love? Was it, was it actually fake? <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. was it, did, what, did it only occur to me? And um, so we're hanging out in, Baltimore. Oh, yeah, love that. We're hanging out in Baltimore. It's right. hometown of Baltimore. Right. And we decided to go see a movie. And afterwards, we got some pizza. We was talking for like four or five hours. Wow, pizza before a love interaction. I didn't brave. think it was going to go that way. Talking okay. for That's four or why. five hours yeah. sounds miserable. Miserable. Mm. Uh, and for our Moira Rose interpretation yes, of the word, yes, yes 100%. <laughs> and. Huh, I kind of like you know, we were talking, it was just like I remembered the ease of our communication, like mm. uh, the the style of like his humor and how we just kind of melded and interacted and we moved on. And it just was so one of those things where like five hours happened and it felt like five minutes. And yeah. um, we were walking back to my Airbnb and we just kind of sit outside. And the thing is, on the hill up to the Airbnb, he started dropping these things that i sort of remembered from the first time that we hooked like little up hints. little like and so and so is saying like you don't make out with boys but i mean they don't know that you know you kind of make out with boys now and i was like what things of that nature mm-hmm. and we, so we get to the top of the hill and you know it's been like four beers into it so i'm like you know what i'm just gonna try this thing oh and so we hug <gasps> and it's like we kind of look at each other and then in a split second, it was just like animalistic fucking making out, biting each other, oh. like 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 I don't know, like, like like hands up shirts and down pants and on bulges and like choking. He was choking me, blood so everywhere. The, the thing is, we talk all the time about oh, I want the Rock to like jump on me until I'm ground beef or whatever. Like oh, I want Jason Momoa to Munchausen by proxy me for like eight literal years until we become <laughs> the next serial podcast, or whatever. But that's literally how it felt. Where I was like, he was, like, I just want to fucking like fight fuck you, and I was like, I want to eat you to death like, I just, <laughs> and then like um but then we take a break because it's you know we just we were, you would die yeah and um and then he was just like man like i just like you are it from like you just i've had a crush on you since the first time we hung out mm, primordial crush and mm-hmm. i don't know what to do with it because like this has never happened before I've made out with dudes, but I never had a crush on a dude. And I was like, well, and, but the thing is like, I have never known this person to be so forthcoming in terms mm. of like how they talk. I've, I've noticed them to be very forthcoming in their body occasionally, but like in this vo- like um, conversation, I wouldn't say that like, that it was always necessarily um, inward focused. Like Got he was it. very able to talk about culture, pop culture, art, poetry, anything. <laughs> but when it came to something interrogative and earnest, yeah. there was, there wasn't that type of dialogue. Yeah, yeah, and so yeah. this was like the first, actual conversation about the two of us that we'd ever literally had wow. right, right. the first time that we hung the first time that we hooked up we went to breakfast the next morning we were talking about like i don't know jazz cigarettes like whatever jazz like cigarettes. <laughs> isn't that what you just call like a cigarette that has a little weed in it that's what we call them <laughs> yes. and um i had to contend with the fact that like i had felt the same way and i was like i don't know how this is going i don't know this where this will lead i don't know what this means for the future but he was like i'm gonna tell my i've been telling my friends i think i'm gonna tell my like i'm I'm not going to get into that much of the business because I don't want anybody figuring out who this is. But um, it was it was it was so um, processy, intimate mm. process. What do you mean by that? Like he really put his cards on the table and was like, "This is how I feel about you." And I was like, Fuck, "Yes." Man. And I was like, "This is how I feel about you." And then four hours of the most vigorous animal fucking of my entire life. Wow. Then the next day I go to karaoke with Den. We're hanging out, doing whatever. And I'm like, I got to get back and go to sleep. Cause like the text messages had started. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And Dennis was like, we were supposed to sing karaoke. This is the only thing that gets me from singing karaoke. Cause Dennis and I had signed up to sing back to black by Amy Winehouse. And I was oh, like, yeah. gotta go. And Dennis was like, no, we're supposed to sing. And I was like, gotta go sleep. And I knew it. <laughs> so then I get back Leave to Airbnb. We're going back dick. to get plowed by OTL. And we basically do this number two. Like we do it again. Wow. Um, the next, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. No, you do this number two. <laughs> okay, no, we don't do that. You mean round 
two. Round two. Round two. Round two. Round two. Round two. But the thing, here's the thing. I hate my feet. So I, when I'm with a gentleman caller, I generally I swear, wear socks. And Even was, when you're fucking. I wear socks. <laughs> and they were very soft. They were buttery socks, I would say. Oh. No. no. Why would you say that? The next, what, they the glow feel up. so got, good. Mm, no. And I was walking down. It was like the next morning. I was walking downstairs uh, to get like a glass of water or some shit. And I, my... My, my slippery, my soft, buttery socks and the, the varnish of the stairs were just like, mm-hmm. and in one second, I knew I was taking a spill. Yeah. And I'd remembered yeah, Joe's is... story from two days earlier about how Joe slipped and fell on the steps at the bathhouse because he, he wasn't wearing um like uh sticky shoes yep. and had fucked up his back. And I, I was fell just like so hard on my back. And luckily it like bruised and it oh, hurt no. for like two weeks. But it didn't I was so worried it would like fuck up my spine. I remember my mom had a fall. She had to be about the age that I am now. And I remember like for two years, mm. her back was mm. fucked up. You know, mm. when you fuck up your back. Yeah. It takes a long time yeah. if yeah. it ever comes back yeah, fully. Yeah, yeah. And so I was just like in that split second where I knew I was taking the tumble. I was like, secure the back, bitch. Secure the back. Secure the back. Just like a good bottom would. Okay. <laughs> and so I'm I'm proud like, of you. I grabbed the rails really quick <gasps> and I saved oh, my back. Tommy. Like I hit it a little bit, but Tommy. like I saved myself. But then on one of the Ooh, steps, yeah. the toe mm-hmm. next to my little toe yep. just went the wrong way of yep. all the rest ah! of them. No. There was Tommy like, has four toes now on uh, that foot. So this is a story painful. all about how I got one toe amputated. No, <laughs> then what? So then, but like I was so happy that I saved my back, and I was just like, I, and that the adrenaline, all that kind of stuff. I didn't even feel it until I got back upstairs, and I was like, I, the steps were hard, and I was like, no, something went wrong. But then there was this man in my bed, and I was like, do I go to the ER or do I stay in bed with this person for the next few hours? And I mm. stayed in bed. Wow. And then I had to go. I've been there. I've been there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do I go to the hospital? I'm I'm bleeding out, but I am cuddling someone right now. But it was, you know, and I get back into bed and he puts his arm back around me. He's like, "Mm," and he just like, you know, moans into my ear. And I was like, I made the right choice. Like Mm -hmm. I might have to amputate my foot, but I got it. (laughs) You got it. Yeah. So thank you so much. That was my, um, how I got my third. Um, So this happened like a few days ago. Yes, it did. So your toe is still broken. Yes, it's still broken. As we speak. Very much in pain. Swollen, bruised. Uh, But the thing is like Joe's mom is a nurse practitioner and so I use her as my personal triage now and she was just like don't go to the doctor I ain't gonna do nothing for you the, lit- the doctor can do literally nothing for a broken toe just tape it to the next one and wait a couple weeks I love you mm-hmm. but you should get a second opinion my mother <laughs> literally said the prescription is a tincture of time no <laughs> oh, of course know. she did that yeah. is gay but it's so you know gay. what Teebs I appreciate that you made the choice in the moment the strategic to- choice to protect your back so that later on, mm-hmm. it could be broken in the way that it should that be it broken. That it should yeah. be. Okay. That a back should be broken. That a back yes. should be broken. Yes. Thank anyway. So Thank you so much for sharing in that moment with me. This message comes from iHeartRadio sponsor, Mercury Insurance. If you're looking to save some money, you should really think about getting a quote from Mercury. Because Californians save an average of $677 with Mercury. It's quick and easy, and in just a few minutes, you might find you could save a lot of money on your auto and home insurance. Plus, Mercury was named one of America's best insurance companies by Insure.com four years in a row. Low rates, big discounts, great insurance. Go to MercuryInsurance.com today to get a quote. So for the meat of our discussion, the thought process spelled T-H-O-T. T-H-O-T. Uh, me, Tommy Teebs, is going to be slinging you meat this week. So the our topic is poetry poetry and you know what i'm talking about like listen that's my job that's what i do that's how i make my living that's what i tour on i had my fourth book come out or whatever but i fucking hate poetry so much i do i hate it i know it's dumb but i do but thing is like i the thing is i don't know if it's because of what poetry is or maybe the way that it's received or what it is versus the way that it is taught the construct within yes and there's like a real way in which like also this like idea that like um that it's supposed to be lofty and talk about truth and use these beautiful words and like i just want to talk about bullshit and cuss like so i don't understand like how i come into poetry or whatever um but the thing that i have to remember is that like poetry was never for me it was never something in the classroom 
It was something in my real life, in my lived existence. My parents love poetry. Like, they barely graduated high school, and they're on the res, right? But they love, that's how they courted each other. They wrote poems to each other. My mother loved, like, Anna Akhmaktava. My dad loved, like, Alfred Lord Tennyson, and they would, like, read to me. They would read to each other. We had, like, nights on Sundays where we would read, we would read poems. We basically had an open mic in my room, in my Mm. my living room on Sundays. Well, I can't believe you ended up the way you did. Can you? It's so mysterious. Yeah. Uh, and so because of that, I never felt like what I understood was that what is required of reading a poem, it wasn't an education. It wasn't going into debt. It wasn't getting a master's. There were three simple ingredients to reading any poem. And that is time, attention, and curiosity. Mm-hmm. And if you have those three things, you can read literally anything. Yeah. Um, but then mm-hmm. it was it was this, I, the, this lofty idea that it had to be something taught to you that was always contentious for me, partly because like I have inherited generational trauma around being in a classroom because that comes from my grandmother's generation where they were all taken into boarding schools. They were all beaten, starved, stripped of their language, of their culture, of, mm-hmm. of, their, of, kumya, of what it means to be kumya. And so it's like obviously going into that, that the situation of the classroom gives me a little bit of anxiety but i did find ways of like really loving and appreciating and poetry is honestly the only thing that can make me cry like Mm. well poetry and singing but the thing is like poetry and music back in the day were the same thing Mm, so it's like it's only recently that they've kind of become estranged of each other poetry and singing and little women the movie (laughs) (laughs) oh when joe said i want i'm i love my independence but i'm so alone oh Oh, that hit i said no such thing (laughs) joe marsh joe marsh Uh, so i'm wondering um so that was my origin story of poetry. That's uh-huh. how poetry came to me. It was largely through my parents and not through school. I've mm-hmm. taken one poetry class in my entire life. Yeah. But um I'm and, and so so but I understand how there can be a suspicion and an anxiety around poetry and this idea that it is something sort of high-minded that you have to that 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 is incapable of you t- of understanding or that that, that, that it is unknowable to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious how um, y'all have encountered, because we're all writers in here, we all are voracious readers, like how have you encountered poetry in your life and how, um, and maybe what were the some of the pitfalls and anxieties and some of the pleasures of it? Similar to you, Tommy, like I did not totally love the construct of poetry that I found myself into. I went to, I took a lot of poetry classes in college, like I, as an English major, I like it was the my favorite thing to study, but it like as I kind of like you know unpacked it more and more i was like oh this thing is so classist this mm-hmm. thing is this thing is so elitist this thing this thing is so exclusionary and then when i would talk about it with people like outside of poetry world it was like i, I was speaking a foreign language and i was mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. is this useful like if this only if like only a very small subsect of like people who read actually feel emotional access to poetry mm-hmm. you know what i mean or physical access to poetry um but yeah i i you know i i say this i've said this before i'll say it again tommy's the first gay poet i'd ever heard of you know what i mean at least the one in contemporary in the contemporary world i remember Mm -hmm. falling in love with your your work on tumblr and i remember seeing kind of like the rowdiness and the nastiness and the gay sex of it all and and being like oh like something was kind of unlocked because like i had read you know you know the the gay poets of yore per se, but like not in a contemporary sense. I right, never heard the, of a living gay poet. Right where the sex was metaphorical. Yeah, you know what I mean, like Hart Crane talking Whitman. about. Yeah, yeah. and it's like uh, the, Being the, like this, leaves of grass. This and useless... then Tommy's like leaves of ass. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is, like, you read Hart Crane and. It's a very complicated way of saying I came onto a thing of wallpaper and then I felt very ashamed. Right. Like that's his whole oeuvre. Yes. It's like being ashamed about coming and thinking about men. Yes. And <laughs> yes. that's what a lot, I mean, a lot of those checks are like that. The, the shame that comes with it. I mean, even like Baldwin and like Oscar Wilde and like all these other poets that like wrote about, you know, queer love in, in a way that was framed, obviously in the context of its time, like not necessarily like saying, oh, fuck these writers, you know, fuck these writers that created the world of writing that we know it as today mm-hmm. but like i i couldn't access it because it was not what how i was feeling about my own queerness and i was or and, and that's not how i you know wanted to feel and there's like a permission that you somebody has to give you to write the way that you want to write mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. to express the way that you want mm-hmm. to express or to use like vulgarity or contemporary or to use twitter or, or something contemporary to like to be like i can make i'm not making poetry of your moment mm-hmm. i'm making poetry 
of mine. Mm-hmm. So it's going to contain contemporary elements. Right, right. And actually, like, I, similarly to Fran, had a really, really hard time with contemporary poetry, in large part because I felt like it was hiding from me. Like, it was like a puzzle that needed to be figured out. And, you know, I think that there was a movement in 20th century American poetry with writers like John Ashbery to actually like literally make it so hard mm-hmm. for the reader. And right, um, we're talking about language poetry. We're talking about elliptical poetry. Exactly. We're talking about like movements that were in opposition to confessional poetry. Right. Exactly. And I think, you know, that made it really hard for me and made poetry feel inaccessible. What changed that for me was in 2014, I was a Lambda Literary Fellow in nonfiction. And that is, was a writing workshop that had poets there as well. And I was like, oh, I don't really read poetry. I don't really like poetry. And they introduced me to poets who were not doing that. Mm -hmm. Poets who uh, I fell in love with. uh, And that opened up the world to me. And now I read as much or more poetry than anything else. And actually open reading more poets. It had invited me back into the world of folks like Ashbery and what, you know, in hearing a little bit of the history of John Ashbery. He was gay mm-hmm. and had to write such obscure poems mm-hmm. because he had to hide all of his desire. Mm-hmm. He couldn't be he couldn't be like, I want to suck dick. Right. right? Meanwhile, be- one of his main yeah. bitches was Frank O'Hara. Right. Right. In the New York school talking about like, exactly. let your let your kids go to the movie theater so they can have gay sex. Exactly. Who was the top there, though? Oh, Ooh. I think Frank O'Hara is an epic bottom. Oh, do you think? Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. There are different ways of being a bottom. They could true, use true, a double sided shoulder. Shameful top. A shameful top. A shameful top. That is so he's true. Just like, this is the only he way just I does do it. it. This, the only he, way he, can. He, he comes in the butt and then cries. Yeah. Oh. oh, so that means you're not the first. Indicting yourself, are we? I mean, that's something that I really love about you know constructs like Lambda and you know the kind of non elitist like literary you know space that are taking emerging artists and that kind of that who are contemporizing and literally queering yeah. like the state of poetry the state of literature as yeah. of today even though Lambda Literary did waitlist me three times uh, I mean I'm really glad that Lambda Literary never accepted me honestly because then I would have become a writer <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, god. can you imagine what a joke but the thing uh, is sometimes missed opportunities are an opportunity, the, the opportunity. in and of themselves yeah, exactly. yeah. I didn't get the Poets House Fellowship in New York and I remember thinking like I was a lock because so I was like show me 12 poets Poets, yeah, poets. who uh, who uh, are in the game more than I am right now because it was limited to people who lived in like the Tri State area. Um, and I made it to there was like fifteen semifinalists and they were going to accept thirteen. I remember that, yeah. and I did not get it. Right. <laughs> That's pretty brutal. And That's very like, brutal. why did they even have the finalists? Yeah, yeah. And then we had to go into an interview. And I remember like in the interview, I said something. They were like, "So why do you love Poets House?" And I was like, "I mean, I like being in a place where I don't have to buy anything." <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. Oh, I mean, that is hilarious. City, that's fucking that's, real. It really that, is. That, no, that's it is. the it's truth. Great for them. Yeah, they yeah, don't yeah, even yeah. have a coffee shop. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's 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 literally amazing. But because I didn't get that, I ended up going on a writer's retreat through Brooklyn Poets, where I started IRL. Wow. Oh, yeah. There you go. So, there so you go. What, is, what is it about poems as opposed to other genres that make? poems unique and special like why you know do they affect why tommy you say poems are the only thing that make you cry Mm. why not an essay that's actually a really great distinction Mm. i think the crying thing because more often than not when you read a poem and it makes you cry you don't necessarily understand how. No, and right? The, like I think that's of kind like, of the magic of it. And I don't know that I'm going to when I start reading. Right. Mm-hmm. And right, I don't right. intend to. I don't think mm-hmm. it's going to happen. And then I'm reading like Tim Lugos's poem about being in the AIDS ward. Yeah. And he's wondering how people are going to remember him mm. as. A, and I can't like it. Just does something, and like I feel the molecules inside of my body change yeah. in this way that like water comes from my eyes. What yeah. the fuck? <laughs> yeah, like yeah, yeah. or. <laughs> or like even like reading my own stuff out loud and I'm supposed to like perform it and I get to lines where I'm just like, I can't say this without. I've seen that happen to you. Mm-hmm. And I don't intend to. And in fact, That's like true, yeah. I try to be irreverent so that that other part won't happen. But right. it's like the more I lean into the feelings, the more the feelings lean back into me. Mm-hmm. Right. There's something yeah. unnameable, untouchable, intangible, ineffable, like sublime about that that mm-hmm. kind of like thing. That little like, you know, you're like, oh, 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 oh. Like, I don't know what that is, but it is like, you know, it's kind of like when we talk about the joy and the eroticism, that, yeah. that mm-hmm. spiritual space. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You hit that kind of space of like whatever the poem has accomplished. And you're like, ah. Some kind I- of like, I'm thinking of it kind of like, um, what do you call acupuncture? 
Mm. Yeah, like yeah, something yeah, yeah. that opens That's up the thing. Such a good metaphor. Yeah, yeah. where the, the little, the little, the, the little um, uh, needles go in and like something gets like, opened. How up. did it do that? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah literally, yeah. you don't know. So I mean, know? I definitely um, make everything worse, and <laughs> uh, you know. I think it's just the way my brain works and it's probably why I'm a scientist as well. When I have a poem that does that to me, I read it again and again and again and try to understand why and how. Also because I'm a writer and so I want to wield that magic myself, right? Mm -hmm. And I think for me, having read a lot, a lot of poems, mostly small poems, and I think we can talk about the difference of the joys of small versus long poems, but poems are incredible when they can, they're bite-sized. So you Mm -hmm. read them in a very short period of time, right? So there's this emotional intensity. You sort of know that going into them and then there's a huge tradition in poetry of something like a sonnet being a set number of lines and sort of by definition it has a premise and then turns that premise there's what's called a volta or a turn and so it sort of gives you a world and then disrupts that world and i feel Mm. like that that is part of the magic like that's why a good joke and a good poem exactly so similar to each other because they turn that same way they set you up Mm -hmm. for an expectation and then they're like guess what a lot of the time it's about timing rhythm a beat Mm -hmm. you know what i mean it's about hitting a a kind of space and i think for prose writers we have so much to learn from poets because when you're writing something that's 14 lines of 11 syllables each there's no spare space you don't have a misplaced word every comma and capital is important and i think that prose writers are really great at story but sometimes we can lose that attention to rhythm of language and individual words and how words sound together and poets are so good at that you know it's like oh where where in your mouth does each word hit you know, yeah. poems, I think, are are really designed to be read out loud and that sort of the orality of them and how it feels in your mouth and then how it feels for your ear to hear it is yeah. part of the magic of what they do sort of when you read uh, prose, you're, you know, you're really not meant to even think every sound, right? That, that slows down your reading. Because but, that's not the economy of that particular it, form. Exactly. Of, that's not that genre. Like what mm-hmm. poems have that others don't is just the words. The words. We don't get yeah. stories. We don't get characters. We don't get dialogue necessarily. You do. You do all of those things. Necessarily, necessarily. Necessarily. Like you don't come. Like the thing is, I think oftentimes people come to fiction to be entertained. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes. I think oftentimes they come to nonfiction to learn something. Mm-hmm. And I think oftentimes you come to poetry because you want to read. Like that's oh. what you get. You have to come to it wanting to read the words because yeah. wow. that's yeah, all we that have. We have nothing else but the yeah, words. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I so as the only person at this table who does not write poetry, mm, has never written wow. poetry, mm. and loves poetry deeply, but has no intention of ever writing poetry. Um, it's really, really interesting because in some ways. I feel like I see fewer distinctions between them as someone who's like ju- just writes prose. So, and it, I think it all goes back to like my beginnings with poetry and with literacy. And um, for me, it all goes back to when I was like, before I could even read when I was a very young kid, um, we had a tradition in my house. And at the end of the day, my mom would sit me on her lap in her super like old and ratty, but very soft and comfortable and warm, um, like reclining chair in my parents' bedroom. They had this like awful, like textured pink wallpaper. (laughs) It was the eighties. And she, (laughs) she would read, um, she would read Bible stories to me. Mm. And she started off, I think when I was, very young with like the actual stories but then eventually she got to the psalms and the way that she and my dad explained the book of psalms to me was that they explained this as as verse that was like inspired by god that was divine um and that was like in their minds kind of like the crown jewel of this like all-important religious text that they were like bestowing upon me and so and then from there when i got a little bit older um in my family like literacy was so important to my parents and to my older siblings to bestow upon me as well. And that was really like a political thing, like the importance of reading, the importance of writing. Um, But poetry was a huge part of that. And so then eventually I became for a while when I was very young, obsessed with Langston Hughes. And I felt like I didn't understand why I connected with him so much in his poetry when I was literally in like first, second, third grade. Um, But to me, there are ways in which it sounded like the Psalms, even though if you look at them, they, 
they're like completely different. But to me, as a little kid, they sounded the same. Um, but also I saw myself in them in some way. And I understood that there was this like hugely sort of historic, important purpose to me, like consuming these words and mm-hmm. understanding them. Mm-hmm. And so um, the interesting thing as well for me is that like, it never occurred to me to think about poetry as being something that was elitist until I got to college. Mm. Prior to that point, I thought of poems and poetry as something that everyone had access to, that everyone could could engage in. That they and, go to Sunday to hear read yes, from every single week. Yes, right. literally. And it's not even like, I mean, I was growing up in Cleveland. Like People weren't doing slam poetry in Cleveland in like 2002. But... I just had this understanding that this was something that everyone <laughs> like a week had. from now we're gonna get like a bunch of actually they were two one two exactly. doing motherfucking bullshit <laughs> true true I, I have a question for the group uh, that you know all of the poets that we've talked about most recently Langston Hughes uh, brings up why are all poets giant Bottoms? faggots oh, <laughs> but same Bottoms. it seems like more than other types of even writers the, even the straight ones are faggots even yeah. the straight ones are faggots mm. oh my god no i mean yeah. it as a serious yeah, question yeah. um i don't know well Why what are, are you doing if faggots? not if we're talking about what the word queer means yeah and that it is to distort and dilate or disrupt mm-hmm. a meaning that is i think the goal in a poem, it's not only to express, but right. it is also to choose the words that have the kind of verb that you want, like that 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 makes a moment different than other moments. Yeah, yeah, if you yeah. think mm-hmm. about the origin and root of the word faggot, not like the actual um like syntactical meaning, but like if you think about what it means in differentiation to the to its its uh uh its counterparts like homosexual or gay mm-hmm, you know yeah. I, I think the difference in be a lot there are a lot of differences but when you think about what a faggot is it, it has to be by default a failure mm-hmm. and it, and something mm-hmm. that i think it could be unique <laughs> about 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 poetry and about what uh, what it's um the thing that the way that they might be similar is that both a faggot and a poet are preconditioned to fail <laughs> They must in order to do what Them's they do. Fighting. A poet yes. is disinterested in succeeding at literally anything. You, you, you don't write you don't write, you don't yeah, write yeah, a poem yeah. because you're setting out to accomplish something. You <laughs> wow. don't write a poem because you're trying yeah. to communicate a message. If you're mm, opening sweet. up a poem and trying to decode it, you're on a fool's journey. That's not the point of a poem, mm. right? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like the poet is so disinterested. That's kind of the power to me and why mm-hmm. I respect poets' works is that where poets work is that when you're trying to write an essay a lot of times you know there's a definite way that it's finished when especially when you're working with an editor in this essay i will yeah yes. exactly there's something you accomplish a poem more often than not you know you could i could like i'm sorry like i could slam on the keyboard and create a few indents and i could send it to like you know a, a master's program and someone could not tell me that that's not a poem Right? Mm, 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 mm. Didn't Kaveh yeah. Akbar get in trouble on Twitter for saying like a bag of dirt could be a poem and everyone was like, fuck you, bitch. I don't remember but what it was. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> but the, I but, yeah. flip, but uh, for the sake of the argument. Well, but you know what I mean? Thing, yes, but here's the thing. I, and this is what I love about poems and what I love about in the way that I had had this, if for lack of a better word, democratic idea of what a poem is and could be, mm-hmm. is that a reading is whatever you interpret it as a reading mm-hmm. can be as idiosyncratic as you and a reading is valid if that's the way you read that poem mm-hmm. that doesn't mean we have to agree because i don't think any one poem has a particular type of meaning i don't think there's one meaning for a poem i think that it's <clears throat> proliferate and it depends on what well, we're talking about like um what was that cologne y'all were wearing uh Centaur. Centaur 30, when you're talking about like how it has a baseline similarity but it changes when it interacts with your right. pheromones that's a poem i mean i just have an answer to the cave akbar thing about Dirt, one of my favorite poems is Sharon Old's An Ode to Dirt, right. which begins, Dear Dirt, I'm sorry I slighted you. I thought <laughs> I thought you were only the background for the leading characters, the plants and animals and human animals. It's as if I had loved only the stars and not the sky which gave them 
the space in which to shine. I think what poetry does is, is it turns our attention to the things that are so often forgotten, that the bag of dirt is the literal material in which plants grow and that provide all of the energy on earth, right? Like it, It's like everyone else is writing big essays or books about big ideas and poets are here being like, Y'all, the dirt. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. in the excavation of that dirt, the poem the poem does not have to abide by constructs of language, right? Just in the right. same way that the faggot is like, you can take your, you know, um, homo, you can take your, um, you know, heterosexuality, you can take your hierarchical structures, like, I'm going to go be a faggot over here. Right. The poet gets to be like, fuck your commas. You know what I mean? <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, fuck your, spell, mm-hmm. your spelling check. Like, that actually, I don't have to reckon also, with like, that. The meaning of literature was created in a room that did not include include me or anybody right. of my uh, my ancestry so like i'm or gonna elk. make this thing whatever the mm-hmm. fuck i want it to be exactly yeah. i sort of think a lot um particularly when i'm reading poetry i think a lot about fragments and fractures and holes and and, and <laughs> not sure oh my god about my thought? <laughs> you can't say holes on this podcast i think a lot about fractures and holes <laughs> well and and brokenness and i wonder if <laughs> This is not about my your, toe, not isn't it? the brokenness of your whole hoe. That's not what I'm always thinking about. And so I guess I just wonder if um as faggots we're often attracted to the places where we're allowed to embrace that side of ourselves um a little more wholly, where we don't Holy. a little more fully where we don't oh my god, you disgusting whores. Dennis. Where we language. don't language. Where we don't um where we don't have to put up a, a facade of 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 togetherness or fullness where where those raw parts of ourselves those hurting parts of ourselves those trembling parts of ourselves can be completely out there i re- like as a person who writes prose um and who primarily writes fiction i always feel like even when i'm writing a fragmented sentence the idea that i'm writing literal sentences feels like i'm i'm putting it in casing there mm-hmm. and i i think and and there's a limitation there that i don't think is in poetry and i think maybe i'm more scintillated by having that limitation and having to work around and within that limitation of a sentence um and there are so many different kinds of sentences that one can do but i just think when i think of poetry that's what i feel like um i'm kind of getting to there's another way i think that poetry operates differently i mean f- forgive me i don't necessarily do the types of writing that y'all do as much as y'all do them but i always felt like there was a way in which i could know if i was good at writing prose mm-hmm. like i i could i like i'm you know effectively communicating this idea in this essay Mm-hmm. You know, because we're we're taught in English classes for for the five paragraph essay. You set up the thing, mm-hmm. you do this like this formula. Like, okay, I I could be a good journalist if I do the inverted pyramid. You know what I mean? Like, if I am a novelist and there's a good story and there's a conflict and the characters are interesting, that's set up for like a good book. Mm-hmm. But it was like, how do you get good at poetry? I don't fucking know. I don't fucking know. I don't fucking know. But I know it when I read it. But you yeah. can't. But yeah, right, right, right. And like, I think like sometimes when Joe was talking about making something from the bag of dirt. Yeah. And then we were also talking about the turn. Yeah. And I'm thinking about like this contemporary moment we're having right now. They're calling the new Native American Renaissance, yeah. which is like all of these Native people coming out the woodwork because of opportunities, because of things like the uh, Institute of American Indian Arts, because of mm-hmm. things like um, people in publishing, because of these anthologies like New Poets of Native Nations and Shapes of Native Nonfiction and stuff like that. There are more opportunities, more interests when, um, you know, w- with the uh, uh, toppling sort of of Sherman Alexie, there wasn't a vacuum. There was a, ho- a shit ton of people who were like... Mm-hmm. He's been hoarding that that state. He's been hoarding that position. And there have been all of us for so long that have been in this game, that have been overlooked or whatever. And I just wanted to share one poem with y'all, if that's okay. Love poetry. Because this is like something that... Um, I think that talks that speaks to a contemporary indigenous moment that does like one of the dirt things and definitely does a turn thing. And it's from a poem by Brandy Nalani McDougal. It's called On Cooking Captain Cook. And she's a native Hawaiian. And I'm sorry if I uh, don't say any of these words right, uh, or if I have them uh, mispronounced them. I do not mean to dishonor your language. <laughs> On cooking, Captain Cook. If you ask the blonde-haired concierge at the Grand Kiai, he will tell you that we ate him whole, strung his white meat on a stick, filled his mouth with apples, and slow roasted him over the fire. 
The sunburned vendor selling T-shirts at Laina will say we ate him too, but only certain parts. The head, the heart, the hands, wrapped in a kind of spinach and held over hot lava. The owner of the Hula Hula Bar and Grill will say we only ate him for lack of fine cuisine. Rubbed his skin with sea salt and boiled him in coconut milk and served him on a bed of yams. My anthropology professor, long researching ancient cultures, will offer explanations from his latest book. (laughs) The white-skinned men seemed gods to those without metal or written words. By eating him, they meant to become him. But if you ask my tutu... While she waters her orchids in pro tea, she will invite you in to eat. To eat. So that's the poem. Mm. (laughs) Which is like taking in, I think, something overlooked, adding the expectation. Yeah. Turning it at the end. The multitude of stories. Yeah. The multitude of different stories. And being like, this is what, these four, you know, strophes or whatever is what happens when other people tell our stories but us. Yep. 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 And this last one is when we get in control of our own narrative. Yep. Yep. And that, I think, is what's happening in a lot of groups. Queer, marginalized, otherwise, and especially in like the native poetry community that I am connected to, that I feel so um, seen and held and enraptured by. I just have one question to round us out, and it's something that I think about a lot as someone who writes in multiple genres and who purposely doesn't necessarily see my writing in one genre different from another. It's like we've lived through postmodernism, right? You have fucking long-ass novels with zero plot. You have poems with a lot of plot, and poems originally were epics with tons of plot. In this world where genre sort of melts into other genre. Um, What lessons can poets teach other writers and people living their lives? And is poetry, is it important to maintain poetry as a separate entity? Does it, does it give us something other than just calling writing, writing? I mean, I think in, in a certain poetry, I always feel like is one of those things that people turn to when they don't have the words for something. Mm-hmm. You know, when there's something, they're going through something there. You know, I mean, that's what we talk about, you know, people coming to poetry in their adolescence because the body is changing, things are changing, you're coming to like kind of an awakening. Everyone has those tired high school poems that they tried to do one time or the other. But that's I'm still writing them. <laughs> but that's I think us trying to make sense of something senseless, you know? And mm-hmm. if poetry isn't there to do that, then what it like I think it's mm-hmm. always going to be there. It has maintained even as it has gone from being the original art like dance the original art that doesn't require instruments that doesn't require you know acts it's just it's literally language like literally sitting around a fire and telling stories those were the poems right and that like even though they're not financially viable by any means you know like all of these alex chi michael ondaje linda hogan louise urgent so many people started out as poets Garth and then Greenwell. went and went to other forms of mm-hmm. writing because they're either they told different stories that they wanted to tell or they were just more lucrative financially yeah. But like Mm -hmm. that, I think there's something so ancient in the seed of poetry Mm. that is so connected to literal humanity that I don't think one can exist without the other. Mm. Wow. Beautiful. You know, I'm feeling like I'm full, but I could fit just one more thing inside of me. Dennis knows how I feel. And this week, our dessert is the seminal 1995 short film uh, <laughs> written, starring, produced, and scored, scored by Vin Diesel. Scored. Yes, no, no, absolutely. No, He's no, got no. a song in that movie. It's no, called Multifacial. No, he does not. By Vin Diesel, it's 95, scored it's by him. Available on YouTube. Available on YouTube far and wide. Um, the Wikipedia description says the main character is a struggling actor with a tattooed arm. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> but it's honestly like a, an actor who is multiracial, who um, goes in between different auditions trying to be different things. People are like, you should be Italian or, you know, you should be uh, black, but not too black. No, we're looking for somebody darker. We're looking for somebody lighter. We wanted somebody with longer hair. We wanted somebody with dreadlocks. And so it's continually him like trying to appeal to um the auditioner to a certain extent mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then there's like this uh, and, and like you know it starts out with kind of like you don't really know where you are because it yeah. starts out with this guy just talking shit like telling a story and it's like misogynistic and homophobic, homophobic. and then you realize he's at an audition and the people who are like auditioning him are, are like you know, yeah he, mm. we, 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 we'll call you and then he gets out later he's talking to his agent and he's like i think i really fucked up in there because i think that monologue that you made me tell was uh a little bit offensive and i don't really know how i feel yeah. about it and he goes into a different audition that was like for a commercial and uh then he again laments the fact that he had this monologue that was offensive uh and then init- and then immediately the guy uh at the audition was like he's like this is for a beer commercial and he's like we wanted like a denzel type you know right, right, right. Oh my gosh. and so um it's not hard to imagine that this was vin diesel's actual experience yep. um as an actor uh in, in auditioning it was init- it was then like the thing that happened with this short film is that after he made it it was picked up by can Cannes Film Festival. I don't know her. Where it was screened to standing room only audiences. Wow. Eventually wow. noticed by, I think, Steven Spielberg and wrote a part specifically for Vin Diesel in Saving Private Ryan, which launched his career. Wow. So I think this is not only a good, ex- I mean, I, I enjoyed it. Vin is hot and it's motherfucking shit. Like Very. he's young and hot, 95 or whatever. Um, a little less bulky. A little less bulky, but mm. so innocent. He's like yeah. a twonk. Yeah. He's a twonk. Teeps, I, I, you know, this, this conversation conversation can't exist about around the fact except for the fact that you introduced us all to this movie in all of our in all of our favorite hometowns uh asbury oh. park new jersey <laughs> where we did our, our food oh for thought God. uh literally, summer retreat worst day literally in in somehow it's the the even worse like then what are the day because i was i was like too high and you were like we gotta watch this and I was like what's going on <laughs> I couldn't follow the movie at all and I probably will never rewatch it however you have great taste but then but there I in thinking about it and thinking about our conversation about poetry it's a small bite it's mm-hmm. what 15 15 minutes, minutes. Yeah. it sets up a, a, a sort of premise in its opening scene and you're like it was big time cringe because he is a dick you know he's yeah, being yeah, like yeah. openly awful and you don't know that it's an audition so there's a volta Mm-hmm. There's mm-hmm. a turn, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? You know, it kind of is uh, the type of thing that could never get made for a lot of money, but that is maybe closer to self-expression than Vin Diesel will ever get Literally again in ever. his career. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. it, I, I actually, you know, it, it was surprising to me, and it was it's lovely. One thing that I love with artists that I respect, uh, I spend a lot of time reading bad books by the writers I love most, including you know Joan Didion, James Baldwin. Uh, Marguerite Dura, the French writer, like they they wrote a lot of books, and like their best books are some of the best books ever written. But they didn't. Not all their books, books are were genius, right? Were genius. And Sexton, did you really need to write all those? I don't think so. But like the, that, as a as a writer and as a human, that is so informative. You get mm. to know someone so well by, by seeing mistakes. by their mm. mistakes, by mm. seeing them change over time, by mm. seeing them as a person who tries things that you know. Being a great artist requires failure, mm. requires trying things that are weird and different. Uh, and it, it, it teaches you so much as an artist to see that. I don't think this film was a failure. It's just – it's self-made. It was produced it on no money. It I don't was think just, it was a failure at all. I no. think, in fact, like that um, – what happened was I think Vin Diesel – Levin was probably like going on all these auditions and realized he was not going to have a part unless he wrote one for himself. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And like Mindy Kaling talks a lot about that. Yep. So many people talk about like when you're outside of what they are quote unquote looking for in those, what do you call them in between the parentheses? Like the, I can't remember the exact term, but when, when, when they, when they're on the call sheet or whatever, like, like we're the looking call for type. 30s, you know, mid blah, blah, blah. You have to be like this or whatever. If you're not that type, if you're not a legible type, yep. then you get, sifted through yep. more often than not and I also think yep. it's like a great example of somebody who like made something small and precise that yep. was then um, uh, legible to somebody who was going to make something bigger yep. you know yep. so it's yep. like yep. the zine version of the book or it's something exactly like that exactly like a zine yep. thank you Metaphor. oh no similes yes. <laughs> it is it's definitely definitely worth watching especially if you have an awesome Airbnb in the amazing Asbury Park shut up <laughs> oh. go watch it on YouTube and the yeah. end of the thing is um, your own home. The last, the last shot we get is like 
Vin Diesel or Mike rather at a cafe and the couple behind him, they're complaining about being actors. And one of those like a blonde lady and she's like, ugh, like it's just so hard. Cause like, you're supposed to be like the bimbo. You're supposed to be the whatever. And then the waitress comes to take her order. And she's like, um, I'll have like a, a bagel with cream cheese and like a coffee. And she's like, how do you want it? And she's like, you know, not too light, not too dark. And then Vin is in the foreground being like, hmm, not too light, not too dark. Oh, <laughs> no. Brilliant. No, it's no. perfect. <laughs> Producer is Alex is falling out of her chair. It's so good. This episode of Food for Thought is made possible by the generous, unequivocal support of Bon and Viv. I mean, Rosé. Oh and my God, <laughs> sacrilege. Our new home at iHeartRadio. Our producer is Cat Mom and ba da ba ba ba. She's loving it. <laughs> Alexandra De Palma. <laughs> Our production manager is fisting badass Elizabeth D. True. Our social True. media manager is currently remembering a joke she made 10 years ago and losing it. Christina Tucker, I deeply so, identify. Yes. Subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes or Fran wears colored clothes. <laughs> or, are we calling them clothes of color? Oh, <laughs> oh, no, no, no. We'll cut that. I am Tommy Teebs Pico. You can find me at Hey Teebs, H E Y T E B S, on all relevant social media media i'm joseph osmondson you can find me at www.josephosmondson.com i'm dennis norris the second and you can find me on twitter at the earl denden t-h-e-e-a-r-l-t-e-n-d-e-n i'm fran and i want whatever tranquilizer dennis is on. <laughs> uh, you can find me at fran squish co on any social media you want Find us on Instagram as Gay Sluts Who Read and join us on Facebook and Twitter at Food for Thought Pod, where each week we pin some questions at the top of our page to continue the discussion of this week's main topic. Sign up for our newsletter to see a list of everything we're reading and some extra delectable content at foodforthoughtpodcast.com. And finally, send your questions, thoughts, concerns, and dick pics to thoughts at foodforthoughtpodcast.com. As always, that's food, the number four, and thoughts about how... T-H-O-T. Thanks for listening. See you next week. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.